<clears throat> uh, before I came uh, up, well, I made sure to get some napkins because uh, I get emotional about God's word. And uh, the, the word that's on my heart right now is Psalms 27, verse 4 to 6. Stand up with me. Listen, listen, but stand up. It says, one thing that I ask of the Lord, the thing that I seek most is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in his temple, delighting in his perfections, for he will conceal me there. When troubles come, he will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer Sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Amen? Amen. So I, uh, you guys have heard, I, I do sing more often um, than I uh, preach, obviously, here in this context. You can be seated. I told myself, um, <clears throat> I told myself I wanted to sing a song uh, that I came across when I was uh, about 19, it's a, it's a worship medley uh, by Marvin Sapp. And um, listen, if you know the words, please join in. Because this is an act of worship. I don't have a piano, but <clears throat> here we go. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. Yes, I worship Prince of Peace, of peace, that is what I long to do. I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. Amen. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like, it continues, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search. I could search throughout eternity, Lord, and find there is none like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sing, Master, Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance. After the rain, Jesus, 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 let heaven and 
and earth proclaim. I need the whole church to sing with me. Kings. They won't all pass away. But there's something about that name. Amen, church. There's something about that didn't have anything to do specifically what we're going to talk about here. <laughs> but I wanted to do that. Um, we're actually going to talk about boasting more. Uh, so with that being said, I want to I start uh, sharing what the Lord has been preparing me to do for the past couple weeks. So I love our sermon series title. Um, which is gospel clarity in light of what the book of Romans actually teaches. Um, reading the book, it's kind of like going to the, to the eye doctor. For those of you in the room wearing glasses, you go to the eye doctor and, and they ask you to read the words on the screen. You know, that white screen with the, the, the letters, it gets a little darker or a little dimmer the, the further down the line you go. But then, you know, they, they, they shift the, the, the bifocals, the lenses, and all of a sudden, bam, it's clear. And, and that's that's what I pray that the Lord will do here today. I pray that God be the one that does the, the doctor work on the eyes and the Holy Spirit uses me to make it clear. That's my prayer this morning. Uh, so with, with that being said, I just want to take a, a moment to pray. Father, I thank you that uh, you've allowed us to gather here and... Um, Based on Colossians 3.16, you say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness to the Lord in your hearts. God, I pray that that is the precise uh, command that you, that you give our hearts the unction to follow. Lord, that you put a burning hunger in our hearts. Lord, a, a unifying hunger. Lord, based off who you say that you are, you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, you make it clear that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Lord, but you also say that you are a God of love. In 1 John 4.10, you say, this is real love. Not that we loved you, but that you loved us and set your son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Lord, I pray that you make that clear, make that plain. Lord, and, and the hearts that are already hot with it, Lord, burn the hearts hotter. The, heart, the hearts that are cold, Lord, I, the, the hearts that are sown. Lord, I pray that you make them flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, so um, just to catch back up with my notes, we're uh, actually in Romans 3, um, verses 27 to 31. Um, now, before we, we go into it, I just want to set the stage. I'll cherry pick with um, some of the material that Colby's covered and Clint. So going back to Romans 2, verse 7 and 9, um, it revealed uh, that we like to try to make good first impressions. Uh, so Clint used an example where, if anybody knows Clint, um, he used an example where uh, in his glory days as a 12-year-old, um, he said he was a skater with a rat tail. So anyone that knows Clint knows that that's not quite his look. Um, now, he said uh, that he was able to, in my mind, excuse me, he was able to fool a couple friends, I'm sure, as well as even fool a couple strangers. But the reality is, the point he was trying to make in Romans 2.6 is that he can't fool God. 
And so that's the point. We can try to make good first impressions on people, but those impressions are meaningless before God because he knows the good side and the bad side, right? But he's not like Santa. He doesn't give presents like that. So let's jump to um, Romans 2, uh, 12 to 14. So that's, that's Kobe. He preached about how some people, imagine you're standing before God and you want to claim ignorant as your plea. You're like, hey, listen, God, I didn't know. I didn't read through the whole Bible. Matter of fact, I didn't even know it was chronologically written. You know, all this, all these things. Um, well, God doesn't accept that. And, and Kobe used a great illustration by saying uh, just a simple phrase. He said, all parents know this doesn't work. All parents have had an instance where your child claims ignorance. And you, one, you know they're lying. Two, now you've got to backtrack and show them why they're lying. And then three, there's discipline for it. We know how that works. Uh, so going forward, um, he also said how God's word is uh, imprinted on our hearts. And that's what he's going to actually hold us accountable to. And so now to fast forward um, to where we're leading off to today, I'm going to be um, in, in Romans 3, 27 to 21. I think it's up on the screen. Um, so I just want to um, take a moment to read that. It says, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Our God is the God of the Jews only? Is he, he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, the God of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So with that being said, I want to... Um, to lead you to the, the first couple points I'm going to make. I see that. I see I have uh, an, an one of my pages off. Anyway, the point that I'm going to make to you guys is that um, because of the principle of faith, we can't boast in the law of works. And so you hear that, and, and I'm sure, you know, we need some, some clarification on what that means. Now, when I say boasting in the law of works, um, I mean, put it like this, boasting in our ability to do moral good, right? So let me, let me uh, start off with uh, the, the first point, the principle uh, of work ethic, how we cannot boast in work ethic. I'm going to start with uh, shedding some Old Testament light on this. Listen to Isaiah 64, 6, how it says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. That means our righteous deeds, which like I said earlier, are acts of moralism, are what Isaiah 64, 6 says, as infected, like a virus, impure, and in considered filthy rags. So the point is, uh, God is not pleased nor condones um, what the law of works, what we like to, to try to present before him. So it, it's a man-made way of thought that completely contradicts the law of faith. The law of works requires our effort, but it's unlike the law of faith, which requires God's gift of grace. 
let me take a moment and explain uh, the law of faith. By law of faith, I mean to say that God gives a gift of grace, and that is called faith to believe in a very clear message that he sent his one and only son on earth to die for our sins. And so that's the principle of faith that God has to give us the gift to understand and want to put our lives in submission under. And let me be specific about submission, not just submission in the sense that I get it. I'm talking about submission in the sense that you're a slave to Christ, similar how to Paul presents it in Romans chapter one. He said he greets Jews with that greeting saying, I am a slave of Christ. Uh, so with that being said, I want to point it out to you guys um, in the text, um, specifically on, on, on what I'm saying by uh, work ethic. So notice uh, in, the, in the second half of verse 27, it says by what kind of law? Uh, it's posing a question by law of works. In other words, isn't it unfair uh, to assume that above average work ethic towards moralism pleases God? Isn't that what God really wants? Well, um, isn't that especially true of his chosen people? The answer is no. That's not what he wants. Um, so we're banned from boasting because of the principle of faith. Um, now, banned itself, it's a strong word to say, but it's also a clear word because we, we know when we see the sign banned, we know it means don't go in. It's, it's very clear. Um, and that's, excuse me, what, what God is presenting to us. Um, now, to, to make my, my point a little bit clearer about this, this uh, argument that's being made about the fact that we can't boast um, because of the principle of faith, I want you to, to, to just go up a little bit into Romans 3 uh, at verse 24. Now, it, notice it says, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Now, if you replace the word and at verse 24 with the word all coming just a little bit further at verse 23, listen to how it says it. It says, all are justified by God's grace as a gift through redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So the only justification that God accepts for our sins in his courtroom is his grace, which is given as a gift through redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Yeah, so the chapter shows us um, that uh, any, any excuse that we have doesn't work. Now, now, let's fast forward a little bit to, to, to uh, ah, excuse me, I see why this, this note got messed up here. Apologize. I'll actually need my iPad, and please get my iPad, because my notes are not in order like I thought they were. Thank you. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I can sing a song while we're waiting, you know. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a plethora of them, you know. I have a plethora. Um, okay, so the first, um, the first half of Romans 23, like I was saying, it's, it's, um, it explains that no human being will be justified by the law of works. 
because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I want to um, make an illustration to hone in on my point. Uh, I remember being in the sixth grade, and uh, it was at the beginning of the school year. My science teacher, uh, who was pretty stern, comes out and, and hands us all tests. And I remember thinking to myself, like, man, that's pretty aggressive since it's the beginning of the school year. Um, and so she told us, before you take the test, take time to read the instructions. Well, I skipped the instructions, hoping to give myself a little extra time to get in the zone on taking this test. And I remember how the questions were difficult from the start. Uh, so as I'm going through the test, I get a little nervous, and I look up around me in the room to see how my, how my peers are doing. And uh, everyone in the room is, like, trying to work vigorously at this test, except for this one guy. I don't know if you guys see where the story's going yet. Um, but the one guy's just sitting there, his pencil's on his desk, and I'm like, man, you know, he's behind. Let me get back on his test. So I get going on it, and then uh, the teacher, after about, like, five minutes, she stops us, and she's like, Hey guys, um, uh, excuse me. Uh, she she looked at, at everyone. She said, um, "Stop what you're doing. Look at the instructions. Take time. Look at the instructions. It said on the instructions, write your name at the top, put your pencil down on the desk, wait for the teacher to give further instructions." Yeah, yeah. You you do you do. Um, so to my surprise and everyone else's surprise, she actually used that. Um, that test as like extra credit for that one student on like a next test. So you know, you felt like you messed out a little bit. But the point um, behind it is that um, the test was the teacher's way of stressing the importance of following instructions. Um, and we can run into that same kind of, kind of way of thinking where we can try to ignore instructions and act like we know best um, by giving it all we got, morally speaking. You see that? But that is boasting in our work ethic versus boasting in the principle of faith. Um, God gives us instructions and grace like my sixth grade teacher. Our efforts to attain it are matchless compared to God's gift of grace. So the principle of faith bans us from boasting in our work ethic. So now, at, at the way the text goes, it, it goes into this uh, second argument. It flows into a, into a way of thought that some people can have where um, they can assume, oh, okay, so with, with God, if I'm standing before him, I should not boast in work ethic. But what if I'm part of the right ethnicity group? Aha, you know? And, uh, well, the principle of faith means we can't boast in our ethnicity either. Um, otherwise, that would mean God had a double standard and unfair bias. Additionally, that would elevate a sect of people and belittle others. God has one standard. That is exactly what the text shows us, and it's posed to, through two questions in uh, verse 29. Question number one, it says, is God for the Jewish people? And then question number two says, does he accept our ethnicities aside, excuse me, other ethnicities aside from the Jews? Well, praise the Lord, the answer is yes to both. The first half of verse 30 shows us that God is one, meaning he's single-minded, in other words, pure-hearted. 
he has one standard of justification for all ethnic groups. So put it like this, to, to ethnic groups that have been exposed to a lot of religion, um, those people, God justifies them by faith in his son. And to, to ethnic groups that have very little exposure to religion, God still accepts them on having faith in his son because God has one standard. And I want to show it specifically to you um, through a story that's going to show two Jews and how God has one standard for both of them. This is coming from Luke nine, uh, excuse me, 18, verse 9 to 14. Jesus told this story to show some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at the distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. So the first man that prayed in this story was a Jew. He was also a Pharisee, uh, one of the most influential religious sects within Judaism at the time of Jesus. Notice how he elevated himself by comparing his action to the bad guys in town, um, praising himself as, as superior, excuse me, superior to them. Meanwhile, the other man was a tax collector and a Jew. He was likely looked down upon by the Jewish people because of his crooked line of work that was so heavily intertwined with their oppressor, Rome. The text literally says he was despised. Both men were of the same ethnicity, praying in the same place, and at the same time. Matter of fact, one would say they were probably playing in the, praying in the best place, considering it was the temple, but only one went home justified. In other words, was accepted as pleasing to God. What did the tax collector do different? Listen to the heart behind his prayer. Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Notice how he prayed with an honest evaluation of God and himself, pleading for mercy for his sin in a public place. My friends, God doesn't justify anyone to right standing relationship with him simply because of their ethnicity. It's presented clearly in that story. Ethnicity is a man-made bridge that doesn't lead to special affection from God. Matter of fact, we all know what happens to man-made bridges. They deteriorate with never-ending repairs to keep them stable. God does not give hall passes to ethnic groups. So the principle of faith means we can't boast in our ethnicity. So it seems now that in one way, you can kind of do an intellectual exchange. That's what the text presents next, where 
if you accept the law of faith, then that means do you, do you have to be uh, faithful to God's law? Um, and so the third point is the principle of faith means we can't boast in upholding the law. In essence, we can't boast in being faithful to the law. Let's dissect that a little bit. Now, when I say we, I mean you and I mean me, all of us. We cannot boast in upholding, in other words, being faithful to keeping God's law. We don't have any room to claim complete faithfulness um, to obeying God's standard for righteous living. Um, and partial obedience is no better, though it feels comforting to think that cherry-picking a few verses from the Bible to obey is considered good sentiment to God. That is a tough pill to swallow. So I want to just backtrack a little bit into the, to what's going on in the text to help us see um, why we can't boast this way. Um, so as we backtrack to get historical context, um, the book of Romans, as, as a lot of you know, was a letter written to a congregation of Jews and Gentiles that lived in Rome. Now, the Jews themselves, they consider themselves um, as the chosen people of God. Any one of them in that original audience would have held to that belief because they were the offspring of Abraham, who was a man who uh, was considered to have special favor in God's sight and was the forefather of their people humanly speaking. They were also the first people group to receive God's word, so they basically assumed that their ethnicity and firsthand exposure to um, God's word guaranteed that they would be pleasing in God's sight. But we know that ethnicity is a man-made bridge cons uh, constructed to bolster exclusivity among equals and claim special affection from God. We also know that firsthand exposure to God's word doesn't imply faithfulness to obeying it. Otherwise, everyone that had a one-night stay in a hotel room with a Bible would be in good standing with God, right? Furthermore, having possessions of instructions doesn't imply a hint of obedience to them. Imagine with me, you get pulled over for speeding, the police officer comes to your window, and you tell him, hey, buddy, I'm good. I got my driver's ed manual in the glove compartment. Well, just because you have the instruction manual in your possession doesn't mean you're faithful to following them. So that's exactly what the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write about in verse 31. Now, it's initiated through a question again where it says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? So let me paraphrase it. Do we have authority to render God's word void as a result of the principle of faith? And the answer is no. No one has authority to overthrow God's word. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not away. That's Matthew 24, 35. And Jesus' meaning by that is that God's word is the final authority. Amen. 
So much so, matter of fact, that we can count on the world as we know it disappearing before an ounce of God's law loses its authority. So can a person be justified by the principle of faith apart from God's law? No. The principle of faith actually means that the law is upheld because Scripture teaches that the law had a threefold purpose in our lives. Number one, it was a moral tutor or a guardian showing us our utter inability to obey God's righteous demands and build desperation for God's promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. Number two, it gave us keen awareness that God's penalty for sin is death. Number three, Jesus was, uh, excuse me, uh, faithful to obey God's requirements, God's law, thus upholding the requirements and trailblazing a path for sinners to be considered righteous before God, to be considered pleasing in his sight. And that, that gives us something to boast about. Now, praise the Lord that God came in the flesh to obey every iota of God's law, making him righteous in God's sight. He lived this way to uphold God's law so his life would be pleasing to God and would be an acceptable sacrifice in our place. Sinners plagued with sin. Scripture says that he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his, meaning God's, righteousness. That's real love. Jesus died in a necessary death because of our sin. Then he rose from the grave to break the power of sin over us. So the principle of faith serves as our beacon of light to point us to Jesus and worship him for all that he has done for us. So actually, this, this next part, I would like for us to read together to, to hone in on, on uh, the point that, that's being made here. It's actually Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. It's going to be up on the screen. Say it with me. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his wisdom. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows God, that the Lord practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things he delights, declares the Lord. Amen. I want to wrap up, uh, start to wrap up our time with some food for thought. Uh, Andrew Fletcher, a Scottish writer, politician, and, and patriot from the 1700s, once said, let me write a country's songs, and I care not who write its laws. He was on to something. Music serves as such a powerful way to drive information deep into our hearts. As a result, I believe one of the most powerful ways to cultivate the principle of faith in our hearts is to sing through a gospel-rich song. So we will do this with the song, Jesus Paid It All which we will sing in just a moment. It teaches such a clear picture of the gospel, showing us that Jesus paid the ransom for our sin in full, leaving us in full servitude to him. But I want to encourage you 
to sing it after service too. Make it a personal song of confession, continual repentance and praise to Jesus for the fact that he paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Now, I don't want to leave uh, our time together today with anyone focusing on what not to boast about, on things not to do. I want everyone to leave here contemplating on what truly to boast about. So I'm going to give it to you uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 to 30. It says, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing, excuse me, to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. So here is what we will boast in. We will boast that God has united me with Christ Jesus. We will boast that Jesus Christ made us right with God. It's okay to say amen. We will boast that he made us pure and holy, free from sin, and we will boast only in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you that you that you've taken away things that we shouldn't boast in and replaced them with what the world calls foolish, Lord, with what the world calls as not being true wisdom, Lord, but what you call glorious light. Lord, you, and I thank you that you've translated us from the kingdom of darkness into glorious light. Lord, I thank you that, that you are the father of lights in whom there are no shifting shadows, God, I thank you that you, you put the word in my heart and, and it's, it's on fire and it has to, it, it's, it's Lord, it's literally working on my bones. It has to come out. Lord, I thank you that it's the same word that works as a miracle and, and changes hearts, Lord. Lord, that you, you say that your Holy Spirit comes like the wind. Lord, I pray that you come like the wind. I pray that the people that don't know you, the people that think they know you, that, that, that think they have a relationship with you, that they really come to know you. Lord, that they come to know the principle of truth that, that you are full of grace and everything that's good comes from you. Lord, I pray that you make hearts hot for you, that people long for your coming. Lord, I, I think about the ten women, Lord. They, they go in, and, and they're, they're going to go see the bride, and, and they have the lamps in their hands, Lord, and, and some were prepared, some weren't. I, pre I ask that you prepare more people 
to be in anticipation of your coming, Lord, that people are more hungry for your coming above Netflix, Lord, that people are more hum- hungry for you, Lord, than, than what the world tells us is the right music to listen to. I pray that you make us more hungry for you than anything else that this world has to offer. As God, you are so good. You are so good. You are so good. I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you give us a, a hunger to sing, a, a hunger to sing, Lord, with with anticipation of, of your coming, but a hunger to sing in, in the fact that we know that, God, that you're beautiful. God, that, that you're the creator, that we're the creator. You say that that you're the potter, we're the, the clay. Lord, I pray that you, you help our minds to be attentive to that, that we could, we, could, we could be unified and that that would be the cry of our heart. I pray that, God, that you help us to, to isolate thoughts from, from thinking about anything else, Lord, um, but to think about how beautiful you are, how powerful you are. I think about the books in the back where Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. You're gentle, God. I pray that you, you let people see that, God. You're not, you're not like the dad that, that was mean to a child. God, you're not a heavy disciplinarian. God, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. Lord, and I think about the song that I play all the time, Savior, like a gentle shepherd, lead us. God, we are literally sheep sitting here. We're sheep, Lord, and, and we're, we need you to be our shepherd. Through every song that we sing, through every breath that we give, be our shepherd. God, I pray that, God, I pray that you make some people, some people hard fast on that. Lord, that their resolve is on Jesus Christ. That their resolve is on your blood. That their resolve is on your light, your truth, no matter what the world is telling us to believe. God, I pray, I pray that you, you, you make us love you in such a way that we forgive proactively. God, I think, I, I ask that you give us such a heart that we would love, Lord, the way that you say love. God, I pray that you would make us give, Lord, the way that you say give because of who you are. You are so good, God. You are so good. You are so good, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.